0: Dot com
1: slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed and i'm tired of being and looking at this national team through the lens of mediocrity i i want this team to be excellent and i want them to live up to their potential
0: hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome for the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This show will be talking MLS 2024, the kickoff special with our special guest, Stu Holden. The evolution of the elbow, referee lockout, the fallacy of form, MLS all-star game format, Horan's apology, favorite MLS jersey, Norwegian crime, more cookie talk, and so much more. But first, join me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light... David Mosse, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer. extraordinaire. Mosse, how you doing on this Monday, February 19th in the year 2024?
2: I'm doing well, especially considering the company I have at my desk today.
0: What do you got over there? Let's uh, let's widen out and show the good folks that, yes, oh my goodness, he's back. He's Iron. back. Yeah, Stu Holden in studio to participate on yet another episode of the State of the Union. I think you are far and away uh, the person that has been on the show the most. We'll probably have a calculation. Well, I would
1: someplace. have thought that I, that's part of Mossy's savant, the Fox Soccer researcher. You're not keeping a tally of, like, caps and goals and... I don't. I've got a lot of caps. I don't know I if I have any goals on the pod. That's for sure. I don't have an
2: exact number, but you are definitely the most frequent guest. I've compared you to the David Brenner of this podcast, yeah. for sure. Frequent, not best.
0: <laughs> yeah, David Brenner references. I love it. Hey, listen, go easy on our friend Mossy over here. He's had a rough couple of days. We debated whether talking about this, but... <laughs> but well, we have to after he saw we, the first camera so shot. We got a, uh, we got a text uh, early, early today. We're recording this on Monday. We got a text from Mossy and he was very concerned from an aesthetic perspective as to whether his appearance today on the show was going to be acceptable. Um, I, I, it, it it actually warmed the cockles of my heart to hear Mossy worry about this. So Mossy, tell the folks what, uh, what ailment has befallen you.
2: Yeah, a couple of days ago, I noticed that my right eye was swollen. I couldn't figure out why. I went to see an optometrist. I have some sort of sty. Like condition. It's nothing serious. He gave me some medicine. He said it'll be better in a a week or so. Uh, But I wasn't sure what that would mean for this podcast. Whether you would even let me on it, and if so, um, <laughs> whether we should talk about this, I came prepared for every eventuality. I even brought sunglasses in case you guys thought that was the best option. Oh, I think you, I think you does.
0: should rock the glasses, hey, buddy, I, listen, I think
1: those look good.
0: You you look good no matter what. You are not an animal, all right. Uh, we'll keep it wide for you today, if that's <laughs> if that's what you want. Uh, I, and you also took it for the, the 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 State of the Union team. In that anybody that's had a, had a sty, and and by the way, out there. Everybody's had them. They are very common. And usually the remedy from a doctor perspective is hot compresses, which this doctor evidently told you. <laughs> but you are so committed to the State of the Union that you did what?
2: Well, he said the hot compress will make it worse at first, but better in the long run. So I haven't done it yet because I didn't want to make it worse for today's wait, pod. Wait, that's better? So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start... Doing the hot compress. Did you get later, like today? an email
1: from his doctor uh, saying, you know, David Massey is listed as day to day for the podcast. He's got a sty. We'll see if he can get through the first forty-five. Maybe we'll sub him out in the second half. Hey, listen. Hey, I uh, think you're gonna crush it, you're gonna bro. Be, hey, Let's go. Not, you're not, be fine, since, buddy.
2: not since Bob Costas at the Sochi Olympics. There we, as, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've had a situation we,
0: like this. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you you look wonderful. And as we know, a lot of people uh, digest the State of the Union in the visual form over there on Spotify and YouTube and all that. There different stuff so i hope the you know the the animal nature of my co-host <laughs> over here you're able to get through that and if you can't see it you're you're uh, you're fine but know that he is battling through this, this <laughs> you can't even situation. say without
1: laughing Come on. oh my
0: goodness hey Jeez. before before we get to what we watched um i know you are an avid listener and watcher of the uh, state Indeed. of the union yep. there uh have you the ongoing debate as to uh the the best Girl Scout cookie, and mm. listen, when we talked to Taylor Tweman last week about it, it just it just blew up. As you can imagine, it's kind of catnip out there, and it's an evergreen type of topic. Do you have one? Because I know you have a young daughter. Yeah, uh, is she involved in this? And more well, importantly, what what's your favorite? I, I
1: got a couple bones to pick with you. Okay, okay. the first one being, yes, my daughter is a Girl Scout, and uh, the the fact that you haven't ordered cookies but you've been eating Thin Mints in my face <laughs> without supporting my daughter's troop that's offensive to me. So, uh, secondly, your other offensive take is that Thin Mints are the best Girl Scout cookie. It's not even a question. It's Samoas. Tagalongs are like a far fourth oh. place. Thin Mints I can get them bored with in a solid second in the freezer. You know, I've been hitting a sleeve sleeve a week, minimum. Yeah. But Samoas, without a doubt, number no, one.
0: No. So
1: it, I thought that
0: Taylor was bad. This is even worse, okay? The Samoas, for those that don't know, I'll even read it off the site because I have it pulled up here. <laughs> caramel Delight Samoas, right? Crisp cookies with caramel chocolatey strips and oh, this is the delicious. worst part about it and delicious. this is why they are in my estimation the worst girl scout cookie coconut coconut is a ridic- ridiculous food i could go on no, for it, hours and hours about coconut you know my of thoughts here. of bacon but coconut is even worse uh our good friend Katie okay, Witham. That's ranking, uh,
1: though, with your, your, your take on bacon, your take on chicken wings, and then now your take on coconut. No, coconut and, is ridiculous. Katie no, Witham, our, 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 our colleague,
0: our friend, our colleague, Katie Witham, her favorite ice cream is coconut ice cream. She would order coconut ice cream, which is absolutely ridiculous. Anything <laughs> with, if you take coconut and put it on something, it makes it bad. Even the no, best it sweetens food, it. No, it without, doesn't. Without, like, it's, all the
1: guiltiness of chocolate and all those different things. It's, it's a nice, happy medium.
0: All right, listen. Yeah. Uh, have you guys watched anything?
1: uh last night i watched
2: the finale of true detective
0: oh it's over now so it's done i can binge it now from start to finish the fourth season i think we're at
2: right correct uh thank god i checked my tv listings because we got some bad information last week from award-winning producer sean sullivan who said they were skipping a week and the finale wouldn't be until the following sunday it did in fact air this sunday uh i enjoyed the finale i enjoyed this season A lot of TV critics agree with me, including Alan Sepinwall, who wrote a glowing review. But there's a disconnect here, because if you go on X, uh, people seem to be very down on this season of True Detective, a lot of criticism. So I don't know, the... uh, critics versus the uh wait a disconnect populace. on x what a surprise I was yeah. say,
0: is there
1: anything somebody's po- positive about on x these days oh my goodness uh, Stu. Anything? Uh, i watched griselda on ah, on okay. netflix yeah uh, i know y- you have seen it and we we exchanged a little uh text back and forth on this i thought it started phenomenally and i was like i was gripped i was interested to see sofia vergara in that mm-hmm. role a little bit more dramatic uh there was a lot of Killing constantly, a lot of cigarettes, a lot of drugs, and then it just kind of, you know, the first two or three episodes were good, and then it petered out where it was like, I felt like they were trying to force and over-dramatize events to to keep it interesting and entertaining when I think everybody kind of knew where it was heading, so I kind of found myself not as interested by the end. I don't know. Okay. Me- medium. I- I'd give it 6 out of 10. Yeah, I didn't
0: like it. I, yeah. I wouldn't even give it a 6 if, for those that listened a couple weeks ago when we, uh, when we talked about it. The only thing I have for you today is a TV series out of Norway. Evidently is the most expensive dramatic TV series in that country's history. It's called Visting. W-I-S-T-I-N-G. It's got uh, three seasons, and it's a crime drama. And it is in Norwegian for... Eighty to ninety percent of it. There is some English uh, that uh, that shows up. I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. I thought it was real gritty, and um, I recommend it. So three uh, okay. three seasons. So it's quick in and in and out. And it's one of those things where I got so into it that I my companion was my map, and so I would look at uh, you know exteriors or landscape types of things that they had in it. And then I'd try to find it on my map and, oh my and pull it up. Yes. Yeah, so hey, I really, next
1: thing you're gonna be knitting. Okay. Yeah, Goodness exactly. gracious. How old right, are listen. you again?
0: <laughs> hey let's oh before we uh, before we get into the soccer one more thing uh it should be said. You mentioned our award-winning uh team and and producer Sean we talked about him last week and all his uh uh incredible um awards and stuff like that. We are up for a major award. Uh the Ambies, all right? The Ambies out there are awards for the podcasting world. We are up for best interview podcast, and we submitted the Carly Lloyd one from the Women's World Cup, if you remember, where she went into a whole lot more detail on the really, really interesting behind-the-scenes look of what she thought was going wrong with the uh, U.S. Women's National Team. All that is to say is we continue to be looked at as leaders in the industry, and Mossy, this could be your finest hour because we as the State of the Union being up for this uh, the field, if you if you uh, want to call it that, includes one of your idols in terms of your favorite TV shows in Julia Louise Dreyfus. So, congratulations, buddy! Correct. This is rarefied air for you.
2: Also, Quest Love of the Roots. Yep. So, it's a star-studded category. I do find it interesting that we submitted the Carly Lloyd interview and none of Stu's twenty appearances on
0: this <laughs> podcast.
1: But we're here today to make one that's going to be submitted for next year. So. All right,
0: listen. Let's uh, go. Let's uh, don't bore us. Get to the chorus, right? Should we? Uh, Shall we light this candle? Let's do it. All right, we are coming to you, as we said, on Monday, February 19th. It is the start of the uh, MLS season. All the games pick up, uh, well, they start this week, uh, this weekend, but first games are this, uh, this Wednesday. So yet another MLS season is upon us. We've talked a little bit uh, over the last couple of weeks. We wanted to get Stu in here with his incredible knowledge and history when it comes to, uh, to, Major, League, uh, to Major League Soccer. Uh, it, before we get into some of the, uh, the contenders and pretenders and stuff like that, just in general, as this 2024 season kicks off, uh, thoughts either on or off the field, big picture or smaller picture, in terms of what what is uh, you know what is tickling your fancy out there.
1: Well, the big one, you know, don't bury the lead is Lionel Messi's first full season now with Inter Miami. He came mid-season last year. Miami won the uh, League's Cup, and then you know they came. He came in at a point where they were basically dead last in the Eastern Conference, couldn't do enough to get into the playoffs and make kind of a wonder run there. So I'm fascinated to see now that you've got Messi, Busquets, Jordi Alba, Luis Suarez, a beautiful heel that will be joining the fold so I'm I'm interested there. And then look there's a lot going on on the field and off the field with major league soccer. I know we're going to get to this. There's the backdrop of the referees. You've got now for the first time in a long time, no new expansion team this year. So St. Louis came in last year, San Diego will join next year, but I think now the first real time, we're going to see some of these teams have had a couple years in the league building rosters what can they do? LAFC, is Carlos Vela going to be back or not? They've got a whole new look team once again. They're going to have the pressure. I, I think it's, it's ultimately going to be a lot of the teams we've seen over the past couple of years. Front and center once again with Seattle, Cincinnati now trying to go one step further than the supporters' shield. So there's a lot of different storylines in there, but Messi is the, the big one there and I think is going to really grip the attention of people from outside. The normal MLS fan. Do you think that Messi
0: or that MLS... Leaning into Messi, which I think any business, given the asset that he is and the value that he brings, would do so. Do you think that it's, it's being too Messi dependent in that all of these eggs are in this Messi basket? And I guess, do you, do you blame them or do you think that there is a danger? This question is to both of you.
1: Yeah. Do you want to start, Mossy?
2: I do wonder about the Argentina factor. I understand why folks in MLS like the fact that he still plays for Argentina. I think that adds even more gloss to him coming here. But I do wonder if there's a chance that Inter Miami becomes an afterthought for him. Uh, You know, we all thought that winning the World Cup might be the sort of drop the mic moment. But instead, what we've come to realize is that after all that tension and all that pressure, all those years that surrounded his participation with Argentina. He's reveling in being able to play with Argentina without any more monkeys to get off his back, having checked off all the boxes. And so he's really looking to play as often as he can for them. The fact that we're even discussing the Olympics is amazing to me. The guy's going to be 37 years old. He's already won a gold medal. He's already playing in the Copa America. Does he need to play in another summer tournament and be away from Inter Miami for more than two months? But it sounds like it's a distinct possibility. You also have World Cup qualifying starting up in the fall. Argentina is definitely going to qualify. He could probably skip some of those games but I don't think he will because every chance to get on the field now with Argentina it's a celebration of the World Cup title they're on top of the world they've completely flipped the rivalry with Brazil to the point where I'm feeling like I did as a Michigan fan during the Jim Trestle era and it's uh so I do wonder (laughs) how many games is he going to play for Argentina this year how much how long is he going to be away from Inter Miami so I think that's a bit of a variable that you have to factor in when we're
1: talking about Inter Miami's prospects this season and Messi but the other part of this, too, is, you know, I don't know how much stock do we take in the preseason performance from Inter Miami, which was very bad because pretty quickly you could find Messi. He's not been on a team like that. Let's say they're, they struggle like they did in MLS and they do to begin the season. You know, is he going to be disgruntled? Is he going to, is it going to become the four former Barcelona guys kind of, you know, huffing and puffing and not really putting as much effort in? So I think it's very important that that team gets off to a good start to have an engaged Messi to create excitement. And look, I, I don't blame Major League Soccer for leaning so heavily into Lionel Messi. This is a, a once in a generation, once once maybe ever type of star and you know it reminds me a little bit of the Jordan era with the NBA in the 90s of where you're just having to rely so much on Michael Jordan to really drive the NBA forward and be that peripheral guy but you know you run the danger of not having any many other stars that are even remotely close to what Lionel Messi is and not even having that possibility cuz before the, the couple of years before Messi came in it was really about okay young dps young south american talent MLS being kind of this Bridge league between South America and Europe, and you know that was the celebration. but I do think to compete in American sports landscape, stars sell you know that that's the big thing with the NFL, the quarterbacks Pat Mahomes, Joey Burrow, like big guys, big stars, people can get behind messi, but who who would you even say is kind of the next biggest star in this league right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, but we just saw the NFL get behind Taylor Swift, yeah, okay, see you. You hook your cart, okay, to, in this case, a rocket ship type of moment. It will be interesting to see what MLS looks like, what Messi, the, the brand and the person looks like, if and when reality sets in or, and I'm not, this is not something that I want, but if it does go poorly and the team is not playing well, Inter-Miami is struggling, which certainly could happen. And we're going to get into a little bit about, you know, what people are prognosticating out there. I have yet to see anybody uh, that is showing Inter-Miami. Plenty of people talking about Messi's going to do well, but Inter-Miami as a team, I've yet to see people really say this is going to be an elite team in 2024.
2: I will say, though, parallel to Inter-Miami, Messi, Suarez, etc., the young South American thing is still happening. Yeah, I've I've been amazed at the pull that MLS has now in the transfer market. We just covered... Ball's Olympic qualifying tournament. It was littered with MLS players. The fact that a guy like Federico Redondo might be headed to Inter-Miami, and you say, okay, that's Inter-Miami. That's Messi. That's an outlier. He want, he's an Argentine. He wants to play with him. But Charlotte are being heavily linked to Luciano Rodriguez, the Uruguayan striker who scored all those goals for Uruguay in this tournament. Uh, that's a big-time prospect that's also getting offers from big clubs in Europe, and he's actually considering coming to play in MLS for Charlotte. So I do think it's not like the Messi thing is doing being done in such a way that sacrificing all the progress that was made on the other front, I I still think MLS continues to increase its pull when it comes to younger South American players.
1: Well, they've increased their pull, but they're also shown that they're willing to spend. And that's where the transfer values have been inflated. And I I think you've seen now a shift in Atlanta United's methodology where they're not necessarily trying to spend the 15, 20 millions. It's the eight, nine, tens because you feel you can get value. But that's where MLS, I I don't know what Luciano Rodriguez was going to potentially be sold to Europe for. But if MLS is willing to pay 10 and give the guy a million, two million, three million dollar salary, whatever that is for a young DP, European clubs are not paying that at that point. So It becomes a nice way for some of these young South American players to come to MLS to make more money than they would have in Europe and then still have the idea that they want to go to Europe and have the opportunity if they do well. But as we've seen in some of those cases, uh, Barco, Atuesta, they end up going back to South America because it didn't quite go as well or they didn't get the transfer fees that they want. So it's not a perfect... You know, formula, I would say. But it's interesting, and I like that MLS want to be players in that market, and they're willing to overpay.
2: Although, frankly, having some of those guys fail in MLS is not the worst thing yeah. either because yeah. it shows you that it's a tough league. It's not like a cakewalk. You go there, and it's guaranteed you're going to play well and increase your value. So you want more of guys than not to succeed. But having some flops, too, is actually not the worst thing in the
0: world. Well, look, let's, uh, let's put a pin in Messi here. I mean, he, he's going to suck... Oxygen out of the room because he's going to suck. No, (laughs)
1: it's it's a bold take. Even for you, that's a bold take.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's going to suck a lot of oxygen out of the room uh, because he's one of the you know greatest players ever to play the game, one of the most famous people on the planet. But I don't think he's going to suck all of the oxygen out of the room. And all of these different stories that we're talking about, I think that you're going to get a platform. From which we can talk about and you know maybe a bigger platform than they would have gotten uh, gotten in the past all right let's get into a little bit about uh, the teams and we're at 29 teams who knows where we're going obviously 30 come in uh, uh, next year with San Diego and who knows where where it stops so there's there's a lot of teams there's all of these different um, stories that we can talk about both on and off the field. I I picked some contenders and some pretenders. Uh, So my three contenders, and again, there's others out there that you could certainly pick, and I'm sure that people have out there. A lot of people talking about Seattle and I'm certainly on board as insufferable as they are. And can you imagine if they are back on top and uh, and winning MLS Cup, how even more insufferable they get? Um, I think that they have gone through this transition uh, with Lordero gone and everything like that. We talked about the, uh, you know, the record signing from uh, Lanus over there with Pedro De La Vega, that type of stuff. Um, so I think that Seattle is absolutely going to be back and in the running and maybe a return to form. Look, Columbus won it last year, they haven't done a, a lot, but they didn't need to do a whole a, a whole lot. Um, we haven't seen the best of Rossi when it comes to Columbus. Cucho is Pucho. Nagby I, I, when all is said and done again, Darlington mm. Nagby might come down to be the best MLS player in history. I, I, I just said it there. You mentioned Atlanta uh, with uh, Jacumacus. I think he comes into his own uh, this year. makes to be seeing what's going to happen with Almeida uh, Almada excuse me. and... I think that this is a an Atlanta team that returns to the elite in the way that we look at them going forward. So those are my three.
1: Okay. Um, I'm not so sure on Atlanta. Okay. One of the big ones there, and it comes off the back of what we were just talking about, which is that Jago Amada is looking to try and leave that team. So if he leaves, that's a big loss, huge hole to fill. I, I will give you that I feel a lot more confident about Atlanta than I have in previous seasons because now you have Garth Lagerwey in pulling the strings, this roster is built differently. They're not going as much on trying to hit the big Pitti Martinez, Barco, right. Almadas. Let's spend twenty million. Let's see if we can recoup our investment and sell them on. But you so, can make a better case. But for I, yeah, I, I don't. I, I can make a better case. If I if I was going to slip a team in there ahead of. Uh, Atlanta in your list, I would go with FC Cincinnati now in their second, yep. well, not second season, but their third season, I think, under Pat Noonan it's now. The second good and, season. Yeah, second good <laughs> season coming off the back of a supporter's shield. Yep. Brandon Vasquez has gone to Monterey, but, you know, Corey Baird is not. Brandon Vasquez, but I still think that Chris Albright can do a lot of work in the transfer window and bring in somebody up front along with Bupenza that can kind of push them next. They're a good, solid team. They lose one of their center backs. They bring in Miles Robinson from Atlanta United. I think that's where Atlanta could struggle is at the back. So I've got contenders similar, Columbus, Cincinnati, the good old Midwest over there in Ohio. And then I've got Seattle, Sounders, and LAFC. I know you said three. I've, I've picked that's three. All right. That's all right. That's right. Uh, Marcy? uh
2: Columbus trying to do something that's only been done three times before in league history, which is to win back-to-back MLS Cups. You were part of a team that did it, Houston Dynamo 2006-2007. What was that mindset coming back in 2007 when you guys were defending that crowd? What advice would you give to Columbus this season as they look to pull off the similar
1: Yeah, future? well, I think the the big thing is embrace being the champion. And I, I think some teams think, well, this is MLS. It's such a hard league to repeat. And I, I get that the league has changed since when we did it. And I think it was maybe 16 teams at that point we're going to be heading in with 29 this year but for for the Columbus crew I think they've got that championship mentality they won MLS Cup back in 2020 even though this is a totally different team Wilfred Nancy the coach is a winner Cucho Hernandez is a winner you're going to have Diego Rossi now in a full season so I think you have enough guys in there and Darlington Nagby you said Alexi He's at the middle of that. That guy is a champion. He's won wherever he's gone. He's won in Atlanta. He's won in Portland. He's won in Columbus now, and so I, I think they've got the right pieces to 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 certainly compete and repeat. I I wouldn't the the, the betting odds of them at the second best favorite behind Inter Miami, and I think that's that's about appropriate. Okay, uh, let's go to some pretenders and
0: look. This is MLS. We talk about <laughs> MLS. It is manufactured parity. It is by design. Uh, you can argue that this is how it has become the most successful North American professional male soccer league in history. Uh, and so picking who's going to do well and who's not going to do well, you know, it's it, it's not a, it's you know, it's not an exact science. Uh, OK, so I, I'm still not sold yet on NYCFC in that I still think that they and look, this is a team that won MLS Cup a few years ago. Um, I don't think that uh, right now uh, Nick Cushing, who's, I think is on the hot seat from the, from, the, uh, th- from the get-go, your friend Talis Magno over there, and, the, and those types of players, Keegan, uh, Parks and Sands and these types uh, of players. And yes, they've had some signings. Uh, and again, maybe these are signings that are under the radar, and until the, the first whistle blows, we won't see actually who they are and how good, uh, how good they are. I just don't think that they are back to the level uh, of when they won MLS Cup, so they are certainly one of my pretenders. You mentioned Charlotte, and look, they might they might sign uh, what's his name, uh, the, uh, the- uh, Luciano uh, Rodriguez. 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 They, yeah. they might sign that. I still, I think that this is a much longer term type of project. And if you're going to do a long-term project, you probably should do it in a league where there is no relegation, where you don't have that type of pressure. But you're bringing in Dean Smith. He's going to have to get the lay of the land, literally, in terms of the different surfaces, the different time zones, the different places that you're playing. And again, coaching in a league where there is this manufactured parity, which is unique in the world. And then St. Louis. Um, you know, I don't think that they are going to be able to double down on what they did uh, last year. So uh, those are those are my three. I have St.
1: Louis in my list as well. Okay. To your point, you come out hot year one, what they did on off the field. Phenomenal. But but one of the things we've seen and this is a trend I've seen in MLS over recent years is teams that play the way that they do, which is similar ish. I, I don't want to lump it in exactly with the Red Bulls, but it it's certainly a high press, high intensity, high octane environment. They make teams uncomfortable. They try to win the ball back and create chances in the final third they fall off by the summer. And that's what happened to St. Louis. They were hot out the gates. They, I think they won their first five games in the league. They were flying. They rode that momentum. Then all of a sudden... Right, a
0: good goalkeeper. Yeah,
1: a good goalkeeper. Berkey played out of his mind. Yep. He, he His uh, expected goals against, he was way above that, um, or below that, rather. But then in the summer, they had injuries. You know, Klaus got injured. He missed a chunk. They started losing games, and then they lose the first round of the playoffs against Sporting Kansas City. So I think one of the big challenges for Bradley Carnell is to try to figure out how to manage a whole season because now they're in cocky calf champions cup too. Wow. So they're starting out the season even earlier. So I think you, you can play that style, but it's sometimes you have to, to try to dial it back. So I've got them in my pretenders list. I don't, I don't think they can achieve what they did last year. The other one, Ellie galaxy again, Ooh, you know, okay. m- missed the playoffs. And you know, they've, they've had a lot of changes in the front office. Uh, Will Koontz over to you. W- what can you do now with this roster? Apparently Greg Vanny's taking a step back. Gabriel Peck is a player that's going to be coming in, expected to make a big impact in the beginning. Jovilić is going to be the lead striker. No Chicharito. I just don't see it again with with this team. When I look at what I think their starting lineup is going to be on week one, I don't see that this is a team. This is based on the standards of being the LA Galaxy, winning his team in Major League Soccer history. You got to be competing for championships, and I just don't see it. Yeah,
2: they also added paint still. So they, they made some interesting moves this offseason, but I agree with you. I still don't love that team all that much. You mentioned NYCFC. Um, they could be successful despite what I'm about to say. I mean, to your point, they won MLS couple, a couple of years ago. We all see the success that Giron are having in La Liga. But more and more they've started to feel to me like a branch of the city football group. Network. Redheaded
1: stepchild, my friend. And, ah, the old selling and, and, and breeding yeah, ground. And,
2: and it's just about <laughs> shuffling young players around the board and and, and whatever personnel moves they make, it's part of a larger city football group strategy. They're not hyper-focused on making moves to win trophies. Oh, we have a weakness here. Let's go out and sign a proven player to go plug that hole. Okay. So from
1: a business standpoint, I, th- I think that's a great business model. But h- how do you feel if you're a New York City FC fan? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, they, they've been successful the last few years up until
2: last season. If they have another bad season this season, I think some NYCFC fans are going to start to question where they place in this sort of overall pecking order of the city football group and and if the strategy is really conducive to being successful moving forward.
0: All right, let's go to a, a surprise team here. I got the Chicago Fire uh, under Frank Klopas. Again, Kellen Acosta has come in, huge signing with uh, Cooper's. Twelve million dollar striker over there from uh, coming over from from Ghent. Uh, at some point, the Chicago Fire have to come good, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking. <laughs> Eventually, it, I'm yeah. thinking It's this year. So that's my surprise team. You got a surprise team, you guys? Uh,
1: I'm gonna go with the where did I have him? I just had him. I thought oh Nashville SC. How about Ooh, that? Okay. So their their odds to win MLS Cup are plus twenty five hundred. You bet hundred dollars, you win two thousand five hundred. I I just think that, you know, they made a couple savvy signings in uh, Drew Yearwood, who I I just think is he's a good player. I think uh, New York Red Bulls valued him a little bit higher than he actually is within that. But I think he's a guy that comes in and they've signed some good role players within the team. They strengthen the middle of the field. Defensively, they're always very good. The way that they play is risk averse with Gary Smith. Fans don't love it. But they find ways to win games. And this is a team that almost beat Inter-Miami in the League's Cup Final and I think put so many eggs in that basket that they kind of petered out down the stretch in MLS. So I've got them as my team. Hanny Mukhtar is one of the best players in the league. He does it year in, year out. And uh, I'll go with them as my surprise team to make a deep run this year. Rossi? Wondering about Minnesota, they've been a
2: punchline because of the coaching situation, but <laughs> there's still some pretty good personnel in that team, if they can find the right coach, and, and I saw they were linked today to this young Manchester yeah. United uh, assistant, the guy's 31 years old, um, so we'll see, if they, if they find the right coach, I still think they could be a surprise, I mean, you, you, good you
1: look at their front line, to your point, yeah, I mean, you have Pookie, who didn't quite light it on fire just yet, Robin Ludd, uh, I mean, they they have uh, Emmanuel Reynoso. Like he turned up right, Lex, this year. Reynoso, he's here. Uh,
0: evidently, he is. Okay, he's back. Uh, he is on American <laughs> land.
1: Okay, so, we'll but see it, if he their their biggest question has been defense. But yeah, I mean, I mean it's going to be the first time we haven't seen Adrian Heath in the dugout for Minnesota United since the franchise began. Are you buying Orlando? They add Lodero. They add Luis Muriel. Um, do you? See I'm buying them? Orlando. I, I I love Pereja as a coach. I I think they continually find a way to changed the roster each year. They brought in a new center back this year. Uh, Antonio Carlos has gone back to, I think it's Brazil, for, uh, to play in. And, and I just think that they have a good, solid, hard team to play against. They had, what, 62, 63 points last year in the Eastern Conference. So they, they, they mean business, Orlando City.
0: Can I just say something? You mentioned uh Minnesota. And look, I know it's 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 easy to make fun of a team that hasn't <laughs> named a head coach. But if rumors are to be believed, you, you mentioned Eric Ramsey is his is his name, 31 years old or something like that. He would be the youngest coach in Major League Soccer history. And uh, you know, coming over from uh from England and uh, an assistant coach over there at Manchester uh United, evidently the set piece coach under Ollie uh years and years ago. Um, there's a part of me that says, could this opportunity, we always talk about opportunity in this day and age and, and you know, trying to uh, give people that either traditionally or historically haven't had opportunities. This is a 31-year-old Englishman coming over to be a coach of Major League Soccer. Are there not any domestic coaches that are of quality? To be able to come in and coach and be given this opportunity, to be given this pathway, I don't know. Look, Aaron Ramsey might be wonderful, and he might be another Jose Mourinho, okay, a wunderkind who comes in and does things that likes of which we uh, we have never seen. But it's just interesting to me that in this day and age, where like I said, we we work so hard to give people that we that either truly do or we perceive to have less opportunity, less historic pathway, and that kind of stuff to bring them up and yet we're, we're cool. And, yeah, well, and it's like an this. interesting
1: debate because I think if you look at American young coaches that have done well recently in the league that have been given exactly that opportunity, FC Cincinnati, Pat Noonan got his first head coaching job. And, you know, he'd been a longtime assistant in the league, longtime player in the league, but look what he, what has he done? Two years, second year, he wins the Supporters shield, uh, narrowly lose to Columbus at the end of a game. And, and we're one game away from MLS cup. Uh, Jim Curtin is now, I think, the second longest tenured head coach in MLS behind Peter Vermees and Schmetzer, I think, in that mix. He was given an opportunity as a young American head coach, has done phenomenal with the Philadelphia Union, Josh Wolf at uh, Austin. You know, they, they did well their first two years. So to your point, there's been enough examples where sure. ownership could look at this and say, hey, th- these guys know the league. They know how to have success why not take a bet there? I mean, it almost feels a bigger risk to take somebody from outside the league. I mean, look at Charlotte too. Uh, what Who they hired? Dean Miguel Smith. Angel Ramirez before that booted him halfway through the first year. Latanzio booted him and now they've hired Dean Smith. And they were rumored to be looking at Frank Lampard and, and basically anybody but an American at that point.
0: Look, if, if the loons feel that Eric Ramsey is the guy and he's the best person for the job in this moment, more power yeah. to him. And I hope, I hope that happens. But I think it is important to recognize that when you hire someone that's very young, very inexperienced, all right, I think it's fair to be able to look at this and say, all right, well, is this league about creating opportunities for others? Is this league about creating opportunities domestically for players on the field and coaches off the field? And if it truly is, are there other options that were either neglected, not talked to, or in the context of a competition between somebody who's English and somebody that's coming from Manchester United, they look like a lesser coach. When we know maybe it, when it comes to the reality as opposed to the perception, they aren't a lesser well, coach. Well, can I, can I ask
1: you one question yeah, sure. for I know we're, we're dwelling on this that's a little right. bit, but you've been in this position yep. at, at the LA Galaxy, and you one of the coaches you hired was Rude Hullett. Yep. Do you do you feel why why did you feel that was the right coach beyond it being Rude Hullett? Just the fact that it was somebody outside. We don't need to get into <laughs> Rude Hullet. David Hullett Beckham like, wanted it. David Beckham wanted it. Okay. But in in hindsight, do you feel like I mean? You can, yeah, the answer is yes. The, uh, I would another coach You do today. it very differently yes, now. I would today. do things yeah. very differently. Okay, that's what uh, I meant. If you were in the same position now, and I had you in charge of Minnesota or Charlotte, who would you be looking at as a head coach? Look,
0: uh, this argument happens t- in all countries and cultures and all leagues out there. The English have this on a constant basis. Hey, why are we bringing in and importing in coaches from outside when we have plenty of coaches here? So this is an evergreen, evergreen type of topic. So, anyway, we've, I think we've, we've, we've exhausted. <laughs> L-
2: looking that. back at your general manager record, I would hope you would do things
0: very well. <laughs> <fine.
1: laughs> That's a shot back for the sty, by all the right, way. All right, easy,
0: yeah. sty boy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh let's move on here to um uh, some some uh aesthetics of MLS, right? right? The um the jerseys are out, all the jerseys. And evidently there's there's 29 new jerseys. I don't know, I, I should probably have looked it up as to who that 35th team that didn't do one. Maybe it's St. Louis or something as the what the newest team out there. But I've gone through them all uh and tried to figure it out. So I have my my best and my it's it's, it's not that I, they're just the ugliest thing in the world, but my My most disappointing, I guess, it would be. So my best is uh, the folks over there in Austin and uh, the jersey that they have come up with because I think it's got a retro type of feel. It's not uh, full uh, full kit wanker type uh in terms of of what it is in that you could wear it as a type of t-shirt and i and with jeans and still feel comfortable that yeah there is an element of soccer but again you're not walking around a soccer convention or something like that as i sit here with my adidas top uh and then my most disappointing is and i think you share this uh, with me Stu, if i'm if i'm correct intra-miami who i have extolled the virtues of in terms of the pink but it, I think they need to get much more pink. I think they still are not leaning into enough pink. And so I'm going to say Inter Miami. Uh, now, they're going to sell a boatload of these things, so don't worry about Messi or the financial part of it, the business part of it here. But uh, I was a little disappointed.
1: I, I was a little disappointed, too, because I felt last year's kit was such a knockout with the collar and the, yeah. the the pink, and it, it became kind of an iconic kit, kit in that way. And I know they planned these jerseys a couple of years ago, yeah. ahead of time uh, the other one I've loved by the way is the new LAFC one the the black and gold the, the stripes kind of the I, I've loved that look and the Minnesota space kit I think is pretty cool and unique so one of the things I will say I've, I've been impressed and also encouraged by MLS's willingness to get a little bit crazier again with the it's jerseys. a lot more interesting didn't you feel creative. like there was a period yep. where we were going yep. through it's like every jersey was the shell, same the, the style shell was the same shell, slap thing. a logo on it and yeah, I mean, the soccers are, are fashion these days, you know, yep. speaking I mean, to uh, fashionable guys here. As
0: as much as I want more pink, at least I know when I turn the television on. That's Miami. When, that's Miami. There's, yeah. And there's uh, no question about honestly,
1: it. What are you? which one of you rock into the nightclub? I like that Inter-Miami one. Okay,
0: there you go. All See, right. different strokes for different All folks, my friends. Uh, listen, Stu, uh, since we have you here uh, and you uh, are knee-deep in this U.S. men's national team, uh, can I ask you a couple questions about the U.S. men's national team? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Um, we, we talked to Taylor last week, and I, I ask everybody this, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, as to what, what this summer means going forward for this national team, and in particular for Greg Burhalter. Uh, how important is this summer for this national team relative to 26? And how important is this in terms of even making it to 26 when it comes to Greg Berhalter?
1: I, I think it's hugely important. And, and Somebody was trying to talk me off this the other day, and I, I just keep coming back to how big this is for Greg Berhalter and how big this is for this team. Because as this young group, and, and, and as we're watching, if you're watching along with the pod, you're seeing highlights from the World Cup and and different big moments that this team have had. And that was kind of... 22 was the what are we going to get from this young group and I saw enough there I know the last game was disappointing but I saw enough in Qatar to say hey these young kids have got something okay so that that's the the baseline that's that's the building blocks the structure of the house but now how do you how do you dress that house up enough that you get the you can compete with the big boys on the block and that that is what we're going to find out this summer you know, I, I think and I and I maintain this opinion. I think we have a really good eleven to thirteen core players within this group. Beyond that, I think it drops off significantly. And I think people are overestimating how just how good this this group is as a team from one to twenty-three. And so this summer becomes about A competing with big teams, getting a marquee win getting the confidence of the group, but also finding out, like, do you have guys that can compete at that level? And I'm not talking about just, like, stepping on the field in the Gold Cup and playing against Mexico and Panama, Jamaica, whatever. Do, do you have guys that can show, you know, maybe it's Johnny, right? Like, this, he's a good example of a player mm-hmm. that's doing well in La Liga now. Can he step on the field in the U.S. men's national team in that number six position if Tyler Adams is not there and just ball out against Brazil and Uruguay and Argentina and whoever it might be and show that he can be a dependable player, not even just like a rotational guy, but push Tyler Adams in a meaningful way that says, that's my spot. So that's that's what we need to figure out. And I look at a couple key positions, goalkeeper and striker. I think, you know, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Tim Weah, those guys are going to be there, but it's who's going to be leading the line at number nine and who's going to be in the nets. Because I've lost confidence right now that uh, that that Matt Turner can be that starting goalkeeper in 2026 and be like a real commanding, number one goalkeeper because i'm not sure how many games he's going to play before that uh
2: let's go to center forward you mentioned that uh the u.s actually has two tournaments this upcoming summer also the olympics you were part of the last u.s team to play in the olympics back in 2008 uh matt doyle fired off some interesting posts on x this weekend Uh, musing about which striker should go to which competition. Uh, He wants to split up Balogun and Pepe so they can both start this summer. So Pepe would go to the Olympics. Balogun would be the starter in the Copa America. You've also got Josh Sargent uh, in this mix. You've got uh, Duncan Maguire, Brandon Vasquez, Haji Wright even. So lay it out for me this summer. Uh, How would you separate them? What's the pecking order in each tournament? How how do you see the U.S. center forward situation right now?
1: Yeah, so... I'm going to set this up to kick it over to you after because I I, I think you agree with me there. And I was looking at this last night between our our strikers and I've seen everybody, not everybody, but I've seen the conversation around the the number nine pool being like, wow, you know, this is this is we finally got a deep pool at number nine. Hey, no, we don't. Okay, like Flo Baligan has was kind of anointed as like the next guy. And I was there. I'm like, this guy is exciting. And. You know, this is his opportunity. Big move to Monaco. Well, he hasn't started any of the last, I think, since November for for Monaco. He hasn't scored in the league in his last seven games. And this is part of the process, right, of being kind of the guy, finally, as opposed to being the guy who has talent, which I think a lot of our national team players are in this bucket right now. Kids with potential, more potential than we've seen before in the past, tons of talent, but like, Can you be the guy and take that next step in your career where you're doing it consistently, you're doing it at a big club, and, and now you're, you're handling the pressure and expectations and you're still maintaining that level? Balogun is going through one of these periods as a young player. He's still so young, so I'm not just trying to say these guys are done, but he's got to start scoring goals consistently and fighting off guys that won his spot. Ricardo Pepe, great record, seven goals, 30 games. Scored a ton of goals for the U.S. in, in, uh, in recent appearances all off the bench. He started one game and it was as a winger. So like, you've got to earn that starting spot at your club before I can say like, you need to be the number nine for the national team. Josh Sargent's scoring a ton of goals right now. 10 goals in 13 games in the championship. He's only not scored in four games that he started and he missed almost 20 games with an injury on his ankle. But So he's doing well, but that's also the championship. It's not the Premier League. So we got a lot of guys that are doing okay and showing a lot of potential, but I haven't, seen a guy yet that I feel confidence and I'm tired of being and looking at this national team through the lens of mediocrity. I, I want this team to be excellent and I want them to live up to their potential. So that's where I'm at. I know I'm ranting right did now. Did you but answer the question? I did, I did, right? I mean, like, but, oh, of oh, where the actual, where you lay them out? No, but
2: I, I agree with you. Before you do that, I, there's an inherent contradiction right now in the U.S. national team discourse. When it comes time to analyzing the talent pool and what guys are doing at clubs, people apply one standard to it which leads them to say wow the u.s is stacked at this position and look at all these great options but then when you talk about expectations for 2026 they talk about the u.s going far and potentially even winning the world cup and that makes me say well wait a minute if that's the expectation then that sort of reframes it for me and some of these guys you were just listing as good options i don't think are good enough yeah. on that level yes so you know i think the u.s has to figure out right now what is the realistic expectation for 2026 and then start analyzing players accordingly
1: yeah so now it's to you, but Balligan to the Copa America with okay. Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent's the most informed of any of the strikers. And then Pepe to the Olympics and have him start and have him be the guy for that team. He's probably got more experience than anybody at that position with Duncan McGuire. And I forget, is Brandon Vasquez Olympic eligible? No. He's not, right? So I, I might even take him to the Copa America as kind of your third striker. Mm-hmm. You? So, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, so uh, to your point... The fact that I don't understand why, well, I understand, but I don't think it should be the case that Balogun is the incumbent, okay? Uh, In terms of what he's, I think it's just wide open. And if anything, I'm even more sure of that now, given what Balogun has become and and is right now. Inherent in going to the Olympics is that it is at a lower level, okay? Because if you are really that good, regardless of how old you are, Especially given the fact that, from Greg Berhalter's perspective, he needs to do everything he possibly can to have a successful Copa America. If the U.S. goes and wins a gold cup, or a gold medal in the Olympics, medals in the Olympics, that's all fine and well. But relative to Greg Berhalter's job and future, as we just talked about, he needs to have his best players in the in the summer at Copa Copa America. So if if it's if let's just say that they can take, they can only take two forwards, okay. Would you say that the pecking order right now is Balogun, um, Sergeant Pepe? Is that is that fair? I would. Okay, yeah. you, you say. So of those three, Stu, all right, you can only take two. So one, you are cutting. If he goes to the Olympics, fine. One, you are having as a substitute, and the other one, you're starting. Where are you putting those three?
1: So if I'm doing it based on right today, I'm starting Josh Sargent. I think okay. he's earned it. I think Flo Balogun would go. So he would, he would be benched to be sub sub, and then Ricardo Pepe, I would send to the Olympics. Now that would be a tough conversation. I'm sure for Pepe, because once again, it would be viewed through the lens as I've been relegated. And this is a second tier type competition. He was cut late stages from the world cup. So you have to sell it to him away and Hey, this is, this is your opportunity to be the guy and have a breakout Olympics. And that's, that's how you kind of, show that he's not out of the mix by any means because you're going to have a bigger roster going forward but that's how I would do it
0: let's let's finish up this very long segment uh and and pivot a little bit Stu because you are a man of so many different hats you have done a million (laughs) different things and look we're going to talk about the national team for a long time to come um because it's you know obviously in our wheelhouse and it's important stuff whether it's this summer or going on to 2026 but in the in the landscape of American soccer Stu you you you've Boy, you really pick them, my friend. Uh, so you were part of the Athletes Council. Uh, so <laughs> in that in that capacity, come in for plenty of uh, criticism. And, and thank you for doing that because, like I said, it does come in for criticism. Uh, and you're also part of and, and uh, have been part now for a long time of the U.S. Open Cup committee over there at U.S. Soccer. U.S. Open Cup is in the news. As a matter of fact, as we are coming on air... Uh, we, uh, Jeff Carlisle has confirmed that Arthur Madison has resigned as chairman of USSF's Open, uh, U.S. Open Cup Committee. He said he was asked to, quote, stand down by higher-ups on multiple occasions in terms of finding a solution as it relates to MLS participation. He says the cup is in, quote, grave danger. So as we sit here on Monday, February 9th, uh, this, this historic... Um, cup and celebration of the history that does exist in american soccer is in grave condition uh of possibly going forward can you get and i know you can't take us behind the scenes and everything there's plenty of stuff that's private out there but first off what is it that you guys discuss and has this been coming for a while in terms of the fragility of the u.s open cup especially relative to the power and leverage that mls has
1: Yeah, it's a very nuanced situation and conversation, quite frankly. And, you know, I have been a part of the Open Cup committee for for a number of years. And it has always been about trying to get the tournament exposure, growth. But, like, at the heart of the Open Cup, it's the longest standing cup competition in the United States. And it is... It has so much you've you've played many years in the open Cup before even what it is now. I mean we've we've all been a part of that. and the beauty of it is is that it's open. It is open for anybody to join, to enter to to pull a team together, to compete for a trophy. You have all different leagues competing against each other. And, you know, for people that aren't familiar, I'm, I'm assuming almost everybody in, as part of your audience knows what the Open Cup is. But it's like the, the FA Cup and the Pokal and the the, the Kings Cup, the Copa del Rey. In, and it's in a danger in of going Spain. away because and MLS is threatening to, to not participate next year. And, you know, I, I think Major League Soccer's stance is calendar congestion. And they added the League's Cup, which, by the way, was at their own doing. But I get it. The, the League's Cup is more lucrative for them and that's what this all comes down to quite frankly it's about money and MLS teams don't make as much money or they lose money by competing in the open cup because a lot of that money goes to the other teams and it's a split revenue share but quite frankly to me that that's part of of why you do it right it's about growing the game so i get from an economic standpoint where this for MLS doesn't necessarily benefit the pockets of the owners as much but that i i think I believe if you're the big dog, which MLS are, right? And that's where they have a lot of leverage because they're the the top league. They're the best show in town that they feel they have the leverage that we can stand and say, well, you guys need us. Well, Quite frankly, yes, everybody's aware that the Open Cup does need Major League Soccer to exist in the form that it does because that's the allure for low league teams. If you and I enter a team, the three of us, and we get a chance to play against an MLS team in a semifinal, that's huge exposure. It's big money. It's It's all the things that come with it. The frustra- frustrating part for me is, and quite candidly and openly, I'm going to be honest, the fact that as an Open Cup committee member, I had no idea that that announcement was coming from MLS when they said that they're pulling their teams out and the next pro teams are going to go in. I didn't even really have a, a real conversation with people until a couple of days later. So say say what it is, and I'm saying this for the first time publicly now, I've been a little frustrated at my inability to have any real impact as a part of this conversation. And this is somebody that cares deeply about MLS, but also about U.S. soccer and the Open Cup and lower league teams and people having opportunity. And I think that MLS has a duty, financially or not, to grow the game as part of the, uh, the position that they are in and the support that they have had from U.S. soccer and u s soccer fans and soccer fans in general in this comp in this country to get them to the point that they are in so yeah. i don't know where this is going to net out honestly lex I mean th- there was a report written just recently about you know the proposals that MLS have provided with the amount of teams and when the teams enter i don 't want to get into too many specifics from what you know i've heard over the past couple of days, but I will say it's pretty it's pretty accurate in the stuff that was reported, and I hope that MLS finds a way, because look, from my understanding, not every MLS team, this, is not, this wasn't a unanimous vote at MLS level for, for teams that want to participate or not. What's at stake also for the MLS teams is to get into the CONCACAF Champions Cup, which is pretty lucrative yeah. and prestigious in itself. So you have a duty to grow the game.
0: As big as MLS is and as powerful as MLS is, uh, the American soccer ecosystem out there and the American soccer culture is bigger Mm -hmm. and is let's be honest while it needs mls it is more important and that's the mandate that uss ussf united states soccer federation and whatever committees including the open cup have to do good for soccer in in general and look i i i I can be romantic about (laughs) the tournament and other things out there I am, and for anybody that's listened over the years, uh, I often come down to the business side and um, you know, a capitalist type of mentality when it comes to that. So it really comes down to is how altruistic, how charitable does major League Soccer need to be in a situation like this. And I bet both sides will probably argue different amounts right there. This is not going this is not going away. We'll see if. US Open Cup goes away, that I think everybody would agree, well, not everybody, but most people would agree that that would be a pity. Mossy, one thing before we go yeah, to, the, uh, to a break.
2: I know this is already the longest segment in the history of the <laughs> podcast, but MLS dealing with this issue, also dealing with the refereeing issue. They've locked out the referees. We're going to begin the season with replacement refs. I know, Alexi, you have a plane to catch because you are refereeing the opening game <laughs> Inter-Miami-Rail-Salt-Lake. You've done some refereeing at the recreational level, so a lot of people suggested you as an option, and apparently you got the call, right?
0: Hey, listen, uh, they can do worse uh, for for me refereeing. I am ready to go. Uh, I'm I'm not sure I'm real comfortable being a scab and crossing that uh, picket line. But again, we talked about leverage. This comes down to referees. Nobody buys tickets to watch the referees. And so be careful what you wish for because if these referees, evidently they have 66 referees out there from domestically and around the world that are looking at and say, yeah, I'm fine to go, I'll go referee. Maybe it's a better opportunity in in the previous uh, times where there have been lockouts and strikes some referees that have been involved in that have gone on to become MLS referees, so they look at it as a, a, a as a good opportunity. They don't care about crossing a picket line or uh, being called scabs when it uh, when it comes to that. But what happens if those referees get into place and either there's no change or? It's better. It's looked at as better. So just uh, you have to know, again, your leverage and your power when it comes to that. All right. This is the end of, yes, the longest segment <laughs> in State of the Union podcast history. But I think it was worth it, and we covered a yeah, lot of different Yeah, submit it to the topics. ambies. Let's exactly. go. Exactly. All right. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll actually talk about some soccer games that are happening around the world. Okay, welcome back. Let's do a little uh, weekend recap. Let's, should we go to uh, Italy first, Mossy? Yes,
2: AC Milan suffered a 4-2 defeat away to Monza, but through no fault of Christian Pulisic, he didn't start, came on at the half when they were 2-0 down, had an assist to Giroud to make it 2-1, and then a sensational left-footed strike to make it 2-2. Monza then scored twice at the end. Musa also came on late.
0: So Pioli looks at this game and says, all right, this isn't a great team we're playing. I can rest some players. We're fighting on multiple fronts with Europa and stuff like that. But this is a perfect example of you can't disrespect the opponent and ultimately they got the goals that they needed. And yes, they, you know, they mounted a kind of comeback when they did put players in for Christian Pulisic. He actually comes out looking the best of anybody of this game. And purely from an American perspective, scored a wonderful goal, had another assist, continues to pad his stats when it comes to a really good year. And again, we always do it. Knock on wood. He continues to be it continues to be healthy. But from an AC Milan perspective, uh, well, they they gave up the Scudetto a, a, a long time ago. But this isn't this isn't a good look. For uh, for them, but it's a good look for Christian Pulisic.
2: I remember speaking to you a couple of years ago about Musa, and you thought he was the player with the highest ceiling yep. in the U.S. pool, and that if he ironed out a couple of the rough edges he could be like a 60 million euro player Mm. he ended up having a a bad end to his time at Valencia wasn't as much in demand in the transfer market as I thought he was going to be he goes to AC Milan where he's been pretty much a squad player he's at times gotten swept up in the Pulisic hoopla as part of this larger narrative about Americans thriving in Syria but I don't think his season has been all that successful are you at all concerned about where Moussa's atmosphere do you sense any stagnation at all or, or not concerned
1: I don't. I, I still just think he has the fundamental tools to be a, a high-level player. I think the biggest challenge for Eunice Musa right now is, well, A, he he had a couple of little minor injuries that kind of have derailed opportunities and a way to get into a team where there's a lot of high pressure. And that's part of the trade-off with going to a big team and being a part of a squad is that if you're injured or out, it's hard to get back in as a starter because he so he showed some flashes in games where he started and played very well, got a couple of run of games, and then he was out. I still don't know his best position. And I think that's something we're going to have to figure out pretty quickly here for him to be the type of player that I think and expect he can be. I don't know if it's a 6. Is it an 8? Is it, you know, an 8 and a 3? Like, he can do a lot of different things. But if he's going to be, let's say, a 6... He's got to improve some parts of his game, the tactical side, and that, that's where he's in a good position in Italy because it's a very tactical, savvy type of environment. So this, this I think, is a, is a transition season for him from being kind of the young up-and-coming kid at Valencia to now establishing himself in a Champions League team, a team competing for a Scudetto. And then let's see what he does next year. But I, I fully expect him to be a, a cemented starter for the U.S. men's national team.
2: Uh, Juventus held to a 2-2 draw away to Verona. McKinney started. Wea came on as a sub. Serie A is over. Inter now nine points clear yep. with a game in hand. Another disappointing result for Juve.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is another yin and yang here. And actually, when we get to England, we're gonna have another yin and yang also. But you got you know Weston McKinney, who is a you know in pen starter for this team, has Kind of turned around his his career in terms of the way that we we look at him, which is wonderful. It's not going to win a, a title, but he is a starter for this team and arguably their most valuable player, maybe. But then you have Wea who you know has come in and out, came off the bench in this game here. I'm not I'm not worried about Wea. I'm not worried about uh, Musa relative to the U.S. national team when we're looking at what is happening with them over in Italy. Would I like both Musa and Wea to be having the same type of seasons that Pulisic and McKenney are having. Yeah. But again, I don't think that it is, it is problematic for them individually in terms of what's happening. And these are certainly far cries from what we're going to discuss next, which is our friend, uh, Gio. And Mas- Masi, when
1: it comes to, to Wea, I was, I, I had him as a right back, I think for a projected lineup for the Copa America. Now he's been playing predominantly as a right wing back for Juventus, I, I was chastised. I was, uh, you know, talked out of the room. Where where do you see Tim Ware right now? I mean, he hasn't started a consistent amount of games for Juventus, but I think we all admit and know he's one of the best players in the U.S. pool still, but where?
2: I still see him as a right winger. I know you were trying to fit as many big names as you could, but but in your lineup, Anthony Robinson gets sacrificed, and I wouldn't do that. I think he's uh, progressed to the point where he's a lock star. No, no, I think
1: I, it was Sergio Dest, I think, who I had— Sacrifice. Maybe. Oh, I'm. starter. I thought you moved Desk to left back. I don't know. Maybe we can go yeah. back and
2: listen to the tape. But no, I, I still think, way Regardless of his issues at club level, he's he's a, a right winger for me. Okay.
0: Uh, uh, the redheaded over there, uh, over yeah, there. So Josh Sargent. So we go over go there. To,
2: let's go to England. Let's start with the good in the championship. Josh Sargent scored twice for Norwich in their four-one win over Cardiff he has 10 goals in the 13 championship matches this season we talked about him from a U.S. national team perspective from a club perspective already some talk about what his next move should be in the summer especially if Norwich don't get promoted and it's interesting U.S. center forwards have this conundrum where in order to play for good teams that are going to create a lot of chances and be on the front foot they have to go to lesser leagues like the Eredivisie Uh, if they play in a top league it typically tends to be on a bottom team that's going to be doing a lot of defending and so Sargent he's already had some bad experiences with Werder Bremen and others and so I'm wondering what his next move if he gets an offer from a bottom half of the table Premier League team let's say do you think he should be reluctant to take that and it's not the worst thing to spend another year in the championship rather than doing that how, how do you see Josh Sargent's next move
0: maybe this is a good, as good as it gets and I'm not saying that he can't evolve and that he hasn't evolved and hasn't grown I mean a lot of these players that we're talking about are very different than they were four years ago to even uh two years ago they've physically changed and evolved and i think they that their mind has evolved and has made them better soccer players but this might be his ultimate uh level Uh, you weren't here the other day when mossy was uh basically criticizing uh, not just the year of divisier but basically holland in general uh he just hates hates the dutch over there and what they what they have done and their lack of ability to defend and all that kind of stuff how do you rate the championship so someone like josh Sargent. Doing well in the championship relative to someone doing well in the Eredivisie, especially goal scorers. I've
2: gotten in trouble for this take. To me, the championship—it's a very physically demanding league. It's very competitive, but from a technical standpoint, I don't think it's all that great. So you have to sort of balance those two things out. I mean, what yeah, do you make
1: I, of it? I, I played in the championship on loan when I was coming back on one of my knee injuries, and I <laughs> my debut was for Sheffield Wednesday against Barnsley. It was a it was a big derby in uh, in that part of town in, in England, and I played center mid. And I played for 60 minutes and I had a neck uh, injury at the end of the game because I was just playing ping pong like this. The, the ball was barely on the ground. It was just like root one constant. Now, that's not every team, but it's a very physically demanding league. The ball's not on the, on the floor a whole lot. There is a lot of running and huffing and puffing. But there's still like the top teams at the top of the league between Leicester and Norwich and Leeds. Uh, Ipswich plays some good soccer. So there's there's some good teams. There's some good competition. I would actually put Josh Sargent in the same box as uh, Ben Brereton Diaz. You remember him or Big Ben, our Big friend ben. from from Chile. He oh, played yeah. at Blackburn, scored goals consistently. He just made a, a move um, to the Premier League in the last transfer window. So look, guys scoring like the amount of goals that Josh Sargent is scoring in the championship, they're they're worth, you know, 10, 12, 13 million pounds to Premier League teams that would buy him. But you make a great point in that it is going to then a team that's not creating as many chances, not on the front foot very often and not getting as many looks as goals. So you're going from a guy that's going to score 15 goals to like scoring five or six is actually a pretty good tally for you in the premier league, but you don't turn it down. If you're Josh Sargent, but he's having a phenomenal season. I mean, he missed 19 games through injury he scored in every game that he's played in except for three, and I think he's played in, what, thir- 13 games? He it's, could, a, it's a great record. Next season, he could end up on a team like Nottingham Forest, which is where we go next. Oh,
2: oh what a there. transition. He's uh, a pro. As we move up to the Premier League, they had a 2-0 home win over
0: West Ham. Gio Reyna in his third match with the club, an unused substitute. Okay, so now... Forrest isn't even fighting relegation, right? They're nice and, you know, in that middle, and I think that that's going to continue on, and Gio still can't get on the field. I think when it comes down to Gio Reyna is that it's becoming abundantly clear that in this particular moment, and it could be argued over the last few years, that his reliance on talent is problematic in that talent isn't enough. Everybody is talented at this level. And while I think we have at times made excuses for him, while at times I think fairly have given him the benefit of the doubt due to the talent that he has, the reality is that that can't be it. Is If this is as good as it gets in terms of his abilities and his and his talent, then it's not good enough. You need something extra, and he's not been able to show it now at Dortmund and now in this loan. And is that fair? Yeah, it it is fair. And will it change in the future? Maybe. I think we all hope, but this is what Gio is right now. And it's not a good look for him. And,
1: and, And just quickly, this is why I wasn't a big fan of this move for Gio to Nottingham Forest, because nobody in Nottingham owes you anything. And you're not given any opportunity just because you're this American wonder kid. And you come from Borussia Dortmund, the stakes are so high in the premier league they changed their coach right before he came in. This coach is trying to figure out and just get results. It's not about developing players. Gio still needs developed to be at that next level. And that's why I just didn't feel it was a great move to go into a high-pressure environment where if the team is doing well, I don't care how do you how well he does in training. He's not getting into that team as a starter until that team has a bad run of games. He does well in a couple bench appearances, etc. So for Gio, the, it really is about, okay, towards the end of the season, Can I force my way in to be a contributor off the bench? Can I maybe get some starts? But the summer becomes the big move. Mm -hmm. And you got to do well in the Copa America with the U.S. And then you try to find a situation. I know he signed a new contract at Dortmund. So is it at Dortmund and it's sink or swim and it's as a starter? Or you try to find that move and you got to drop down a tier in terms of the level of team you're expecting to play in. Also in the Premier League this
2: weekend, Manchester City held to a one-one draw by Chelsea. Liverpool and Arsenal both won. So City lose ground in the title race. Erlen Holland had some incredible misses in this match. I have never seen him so out of sorts.
0: Yeah, I mean, and he 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 knew it. This this should have been a three-point uh game, right? But a huge, huge result for, you know, a I guess a beleaguered type of uh type of team when it comes to when it comes to Chelsea. So yeah, they still have a game in hand, but it's it's on, man. It It is on. And Arsenal, who I think, well, I certainly did, you know, wrote them off a few weeks ago. I still don't see them having enough when it comes to it. But from a uh, table perspective, uh, they're in it. So it's all to play for, and it makes it that much more exciting. You know where it's it's not all to play for, though, Bossy?
2: Yeah, we go to Germany next. Leverkusen handled their business 2-1 away win over Heidenheim. Leonard Maloney, by the way, started that match for Heidenheim. Uh, Bayern Munich suffered a 3-2 defeat away to Eric Winalda's former club, Bochum. So they're now eight points back with 12 to play. This was their third straight defeat in all competitions. And for the second match in a row, Upa Meccano committed a penalty <laughs> and was sent off on the same play. <laughs>
0: Look, I mean, How do
1: you say it's over in Germany? It's done.
0: It's kaput, right? You think uh, that,
1: I don't know. I mean, they could do a Dortmund and throw it away at the end, but this, week, I, I, think if was saying, hey. I think if it's still Tuchel, no chance. I, I think Bayern have got to do what they did, which is, you know, they fired Nagelsmann when he was still in all three competitions, brought in Tuchel, and it's all gone way lower after, but they did win the league on the last day last season.
2: Yeah, Raphael Hannenstein wrote in The Athletic today that Tuchel's in big trouble there. They're thinking about getting rid of him now and hiring Hansi Flick as an interim coach until the end of the season. That would be the the, most Bayern move ever. But the guy they have their eye on long-term is Xabi Alonso. The problem is they're going to be competing with Liverpool there. At one point, it looked like it was going to be Real Madrid versus Bayern for Xabi Alonso. I compared it on this pod to two guys eyeing the same hot girl at a bar and who's going to make the move first. Real Madrid (laughs) took themselves out of it by re-signing Ancelotti much to my chagrin. (laughs) Um, But uh, Liverpool now have entered the mix because of Jurgen Klopp's decision to uh, leave at the end of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see where Xabi Alonso ends up after he guides Leverkusen, it looks like, to their first ever Bundesliga It's done.
0: It's it's over. And I'll I'll, I'll save this for another show because it's kind of evergreen, but the Uwe Americano second yellow and then the red card up there, it brings up a much bigger and longer discussion about the way the game has changed and the way we were coached as young players on terms of how to jump and how to get in the air and all that kind of stuff but uh, let's see here. Uh, where I'll, should we go to now?
2: I'll just say before we move on from this, a- any big European club that has an opening this summer, you have to at least put in a call to Jurgen Klopp. Now, he seems pretty dead set on taking a sabbatical, and I think he'll probably stick to that, but it would be a dereliction of duty to not at least put yes, in the call. if yeah, sure you're a Bayern or Barcelona, et cetera. Um, also in Germany, Union Berlin with a big 1 0 away win over Hoffenheim. Brendan Aronson came on as a sub and got the winner, his first goal of the season. Remember Brendan Aronson? Oh, yeah.
1: Big Brendan. Uh, it was a nice finish, too, to come on and have that moment for a guy that, you know, at one point they were talking about loaning him out during this last window, uh, has been pretty open, Union Berlin, about his lack of physicality. And I think that's one of, I, I don't know, he, he plays tough, though, Brendan, you know, he, he's a he's a dogged worker, he's he's going to give you everything. But I do think. Sometimes you could put on a little bit of of, of strength there that could make him a little bit more of a consistent contributor, but great sign for him, and hopefully that means more minutes. Uh, We go to the Champions League next. We have four more round
2: of 16 first legs this week. Uh, On Tuesday, PSV will play host to Dortmund. Dest, Tillman, and Pepe all started this past weekend against Eriklis. Pepe started on the wing so they could get him and Luke de Jong on the field together. Didn't go so great. Peter Bosch admitted afterwards it's likely not something he's going to go back to. So I expect Pepe to be on the bench for this game against Dortmund. All right, quick. Who's winning? PSG Dortmund. Uh, I think Dortmund advance. uh, To me, they've improved with the additions of Sancho and Madsen uh, in January. Keep in mind, though, if you're a U.S. fan, you have double reason to root for PSV, obviously because of all the Americans on that team. And you also want Terzic added there because that might help (laughs) Gio have a a future at Dortmund. I'm
1: going to go with the uh, Ernie Ernie Stewart surprise package and PSV taking down Dortmund. Okay,
0: anybody? uh, I'm going with Dortmund. Inter Atletico? Uh, I've talked about how
2: much I love this tie. I, I like the way both two teams are playing. This is my favorite Simeone team. Yeah. They actually play more expansively. Griezmann has been phenomenal. Morata, Depay, guys like Llorente and Lino on the they wings. Five zero. at the uh, Barrios, Rodrigo yeah. de Paul, cocaine in that midfield. But Inter have been a machine, and they're churning out results. That strike duo of Lautaro and Marcos Turan is sensational. This one is too close to call for me. And whoever advances, I think, could win the whole thing. If you put me on the spot, I will go... Inter. <laughs> it's a little dance.
1: Yeah. I'm going to dance the other way. I'm going to go Atleti. You're going to Atleti. Uh,
2: Arsenal, Porto? Uh, I think this is Arsenal all the way. Okay. We talked about it. They're flying 11 goals in the last two Premier League games. Um, so, yeah, I think Arsenal make a nice run in the Champions League. The season. Which, by the way, England needs if they're going to have that fifth place turn into a Champions League spot. They only have two teams left, Arsenal and Manchester City, while oh, for other the, leagues uh, have more. Exactly. Oh, yeah. my
0: goodness. All right. So, yeah, I'm going with Arsenal, too. Yep. Napoli, Barca. Napoli fired their coach today, right?
2: Yeah. Walter Mazzarri with second managerial change of the season. They already gotten rid of Rudy Garcia earlier. It's, yeah, it's been a disastrous title defense for them. Barcelona not feeling all that great either. They, they eked out a win over Luca De La Torre and Celta Vigo this past weekend, but we know their issue. Xavi has already announced he's leaving at the end of the season. But I think Napoli are an even bigger mess right now, so I would go with Barcelona. I'll take Barca. Yeah. Barca. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You're going I'll, Napoli? I'll go
0: I'll go with Napoli. Uh, and then talk about burying the lead. Let's yes. finish this up.
2: Yes. So we did want to ask you about Mallorca. Oh, yeah. You're, you're in the Copa del Rey semifinals. Already had the first leg against Real Sociedad. No, no. You lost to Sociedad this past weekend in La Liga. Some, some refereeing controversy in that game. Okay. Yeah. Well, you have the second leg coming up. Mallorca has won the Copa del Rey once back in 2003, a young Samuel, Samuel Eto. Eto. Yeah. Um What would it mean for that club uh, to win this competition? How fired up are you for this run? Yeah,
1: I got asked this the other day, actually, but just kind of how big this game would be. And I said, would it be the biggest game in our tenure? We, be, we became owners back in 2016. And on, on on the top, I would say yes, but also we've had multiple promotions into La Liga, which I think over a longer period is is bigger. But to be in the semifinal and the chance at a cup final is huge for, for where our club and where we've come from and being in the third division and playing some of these games. To so think about standing there in Seville, in Seville, potentially for a final, but we got a lot of work to do. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but you know, I thought when the draw came out, we had Sociedad at home in the first match. And I loved that. I thought, you know, let's get off to a flying start in the home game and we'll have an advantage and we'll go on the road and we'll just kind of hunker down and grind it out. But it ended up being the opposite, which I remember happening a lot in MLS playoffs when you had those two legs the first game was one of the most boring games yep. I've seen. Nobody wanted to attack. Nobody wanted to concede any nobody chances. To make, a, make, a, make a mistake. You didn't want to make a mistake. Yeah. Now there's no there's no way goals in this in this tie, but still, you know, no, nobody wanted to to really give that edge. So in some ways, I see it as us going to sit in deep and try to get on the counter. We had a pretty feisty. We'll play Sociedad by the end of this three times in the month, but this is a huge game next week, and uh, I, I'm I'm. Nervous, Uh, very nervous. Fine. Good luck to you. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be fun. Our adopted team. Group trip over there if we get to the final. Yeah, there we go.
0: All right, let's take uh, another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alex. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. Keep in mind that our handle out there on all the social media platforms is S O T U with Alexi. Uh, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 549 2297. 657 549 2297. Mossy, what do the folks want to know this episode?
2: We have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now.
0: This is Spitz from Washington, D.C.
2: I love the podcast. Both of you bring amazing insight. Vamos
0: United, MLS Cup, or bust. But here's what I'm calling. Last year at this time, Alexi
2: had a ridiculous take that the NBA All-Star Game was somehow not amazing. And I only wish MLS would have two of our top stars picking teams.
0: Please, with your powers, make that happen.
2: Thank you, guys. Let's go for a great MLS season. Here we go.
0: Okay. Spitz from D.C. Um, To be fair, a a ridiculous take from me is kind of uh, redundant. But when it comes to the NBA NBA All-Star Game, again, we were recording this on Monday, evidently there was an NBA All-Star Game yesterday. Okay? (laughs) Uh, I had no idea, and I certainly watched none of it. The only thing from, I guess, All-Star Weekend from an NBA perspective that I even remotely I even cared about, but even crossed my radar was the one-on-one with uh, an NBA player and a WNBA WNB pl- player hitting three points and stuff like that. Also, they tell me that the ball that the M- WNBA uses and the, and the women use is smaller than the NBA one.
1: Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. Why?
0: That's just the rules?
1: E- easier to shoot, I think. Okay. Like, All right. It's what lighter. It's it's, light. it's okay. more.
0: All right. Got it. Um, okay. So, to, you know, to his question – the NBA or the, the MLS All-Star game, we know it's evolved over the years. It's gone back and forth. We've had different teams. We've had it internal, uh, you know, an intra-MLS type of All-Star team uh, or game. We've had people come over and teams come over and all that kind of stuff. I think they have at times done picking in the past. Mossy, am I, am, I, am I wrong?
2: Yeah, I'll just say I think the NBA All-Star Game the game itself is awful nobody plays any defense but I do like that they use the event as a showcase for the league and all the stars in the league I went on a rant uh, this summer when we were in Sydney about the MLS All-Star Game after they got thumped by Arsenal 5-0 I think MLS is well past the point of feeling the need to export the star power for that game and bring in a European club like Arsenal there's more than enough star power in the league including the biggest star in the world and so I think MLS needs to go back to just an east-west format and have it be self-contained
1: mls players do you agree i do but i think it was our last all-star game we had was mls playing atletico madrid in orlando and we had this rain delay and it was the lowest rated all-star game on record i think and then they tried to do versus league mx and that didn't quite have the bump or the the the, the widespread Euphoria that I think that they would have hoped, at least within the English language audience, the people that were watching it on mm-hmm. in English language, I think with Spanish language, it did very well, still, as you would expect, because there's a lot of Mexican stars. yeah, I, you know I, I don't know what the perfect recipe is because I think one of the big challenges that the NBA All star game is that people really tune in if they, if they are tuning in. they want to see so, these big stars that are all on these different teams competing and having you know a bit of fun too, but they want to see them competing together. But what has happened is it's just become this giant showcase and exp- exhibition, and everybody dunking and nobody playing defense, and it's not actually anything that resembles a game. And so there's nothing that you would want to expect of seeing these guys just bawling out in a in a street pickup game where nobody can watch. That's a, I think that's what you want to see as a fan. I do. I want to see like LeBron and Giannis and Booker and all these guys just going a hundred percent. But we know the reality is that. These guys don't want to get hurt. I, and I, I
0: don't I don't care in an all-star game about actually seeing a game, to be quite honest with you. So what do you it, want to see then? It's a celebration of the league. It's a celebration of the players. What, so I, that's want to what see, is, that's I what that's what is right now. Yeah, but all I want to see are I guess what would be called unique events. So this three point shooting skills thing. competition stuff. Skills stopped. competition. They did I, do that. Fish they out of water type yeah. of things. That's I want to see these players uh in situations where they are. Uh, not comfortable, or, or or in situations where they can show even more of the talent that they have. that's that for me is much more interesting, especially if nobody's going to take it seriously. There's nothing on the line, so you don't. You have well, I and mean, then
1: you would watch the Saturday event, which was like essentially the All Star Skills Challenge from the MLS. Exactly, but that's, that's what the they did all that on that I Saturday. I but, but then Sunday's battle of the, the game. network
0: stars or all this kind of stuff. That's the stuff that I want to put them on bicycles for. for put, <laughs> I don't care, but but do different stuff. Show them in different settings than we normally see them, because with that comes sometimes a greater appreciation for the athletes that they are. And also it provides comedy and it provides viral moments and it gives you something different because ultimately the competition of the actual sport has gone. And I don't think you're putting uh, getting it back no matter what format you have.
2: Uh, just to correct myself, I said exporting the star power. Bringing in a team from the outside would be importing mm. star power.
0: Yes. Well, you listen, we know you're under the weather with your sty. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, uh, Spitz, thank you so much uh, for the kind words. Thank you for listening. And to everybody out there for listening and for reviewing and doing all the different things that you do, and in particular when you call into the State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 2297 or sending in your questions out there on all the uh, handles that we have and using that askalexi hashtag. All right, we got one more segment. The end of our show is coming up here. Thankfully, Stu has stuck around with us for the entire show. So, one more break here, and we come back. I'll give you my uh, one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Uh, keep in mind that this week, our U.S. Women's National Team is in action, the uh, W Gold Cup. Uh, they're playing down here close to us, down in Carson, California. Uh, let's see. Dominican Republic on Tuesday, Argentina on Friday, and Mexico on Monday, which leads me right into one of our stars, our captain, Lindsay Horan. A couple weeks ago, we talked about. Her comments when it came to uh, the American fan and how she said you know, very clearly and I guess very honestly that uh, she didn't think that they were particularly smart. And I took her to task along with a lot of other people. But I also uh, said uh, with her or anybody else that I will fight to my dying breath to, um, to protect her ability and freedom to be able to say these things. And I love the fact that she is open and honest about these things. Well, we come to find out that she has apologized for those comments, saying that uh, some of my com- quote some of my comments were poorly expressed and there was a massive lesson learned from me. So she's giving a me a culpa and asking for forgiveness out there. She also said that every time we step out to train, every time we step out and play in games, we play for you guys, and you are our inspiration. You are our motivation, and seeing you wearing our jerseys and seeing you screaming our name and chanting USA, that's what we play for. Uh, And I never wanted to take any of that away. And continuing on that, the soccer culture in America is changing and growing so much in a positive way. So these are all wonderful comments designed to, like I said, apologize. Now, um I read this and I said no no Lindsay don't don't do that. I understand why and this is not me saying that there aren't times where apologizing and saying you're sorry um is not appropriate and the absolutely the thing to do. However in, in in this case it's okay. You 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 can own these uh you can own these comments and it's okay. Uh, the U.S. fan base, yeah, people will take shots at you and people will criticize you going, uh, going forward. But you're a big girl, like I said. And you knew exactly what you, are, what, what you were saying. And I don't think that this is going to change anything <laughs> when it comes to people out there. Because guess what? People are still going to love you, Lindsay. All right? The, the fan base is not going away. Even those that disagreed, they're not going anywhere. And it's okay. It brought about discussion. And as I said before, whether it's Lindsay Horan or anybody else out there, if and when I disagree with things and even vehemently disagree with uh, something that you said, as I did here, that's okay. That's okay for us to have a disagreement. You don't have to apologize every single time someone takes you to task. You don't have to apologize every single time somebody is critical of something that you said. By the way, if that was the case, I'd be apologizing each and every <laughs> day on a consistent on a consistent basis. It also doesn't mean, like I said, that there aren't appropriate times for you to uh, apologize. Now, this is, you know, not that big a deal, and that she, you know that she did it. I think everybody is going to move uh, move on. But I read this and I think, I don't think that she actually believes what she is saying here, okay? What she believes is the truth that we saw in all of its honesty out there on the page in what she said in that moment of clarity and honesty. And I actually, even though I disagree with it, I love it. I love the fact that she was being truthful there. I would have loved it even more had she owned it, because this, I don't think, was a moment where it was justified for her to say, sorry and to apologize to me to the American soccer public that she felt she needed to do it fine and if she feels better than that that's uh that's all fine and well but we can put the Lindsay oran <laughs> situation to rest and move uh move on because as i said before she's a player i want on my team i think she's going to play a, an important role going forward in this new version of this team she's going to be one of those holdovers going forward uh right now and hopefully she is part of bringing this team back to a point where it doesn't matter how smart or how dumb you are when it comes to the game, you look at this team and said, that is my team, that is a team that I want to cheer for, and that is my captain over there, Lindsey O'Ran, and that's somebody that I want to cheer for. Stu, thank you for joining us today. And thank stay, you, And sticking around, my friend. Yeah, uh, happy, anything happy you happy want to, to tell the folks out there?
1: Uh, well, first of all, Mossy, I hope your style gets better very soon. Thank, you. Um, <laughs> thank It's you. been a, a pleasure sitting next to you. It's not contagious. I it? think it's grown okay. through
0: the show. This has been a very long <laughs> show. I think it's gotten bigger. So we got to get those compresses on when we get home.
1: Uh, and, yeah, fun. Always fun. I feel like, again, we're touching limits. What are we at? Um, hour 30 today? For eh, this pod? Whatever. Yeah, don't whatever. worry about it. it. A, it's not, on
2: fire, baby. We don't have a window or anything. I know so. uh, Sean Sullivan's head's going to explode. This is a Luis Aguilar-length pod. Uh, but one more subject I wanted to broach. Today is President's Day. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, who is the only person to serve two non-sequential terms, something that Donald Trump is attempting to accomplish?
0: Uh, non-sequential? Yeah. I don't know.
2: Grover Cleveland, the 22nd and 24th presidents of the United Grover, States. Grover Cleveland, do wow. you know that historians count him twice when they say Joe Biden is the 46th president of the United States? There's actually only been 45 men that have had the job, but Grover Cleveland, they count it as 46 different presidencies since he assumed the office on two different occasions. I can huh. hear
0: I can hear our control room They're right clapping. now. They're so clapping. Evidently, got somebody, it somebody right. got it back Aaron, right there. Aaron so Schechter, USC uh, grad,
2: very proud of her. I was actually going to rattle off all the presidents in order, but that, that would be a little show off for uh, <laughs> You can do it from memory?
0: Oh, yeah. Did you know... Uh, there was? I, <laughs> I didn't know that, memory, Masi. That, that, that's I saw impressive. a video the other day of a young woman who... Was having brain surgery, and there was a point during the brain surgery where they actually have to have you awake, and functioning, even though obviously you're drugged up, and she was able to recite all the capitals of the United States in a row, which was just an amazing type of feat. So, but But, you, I mean, now that you've teased us, you got to do it.
1: This is actually perfect fodder for anybody that's made it this far in the pod. Because yeah, you're listen, a psychopath. This is, a, this you've is you've an Easter egg, far. folks. So, go ahead. Yeah.
0: David Mossy, even <laughs> in his state right now with the sty, he is going to recite each and every uh, president?
2: Yes. Uh, George Wa- George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, William Harrison, John Tyler, Zachary... I'm sorry, James K. Polk, uh, Zachary Taylor, Millard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, James Buchanan, Abraham Lincoln, Andrew Johnson, Ulysses S. Grant, Rutherford B. Hayes, James Garfield, Chester Arthur, Grover Cleveland, Benjamin Harrison, Grover Cleveland, William McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, Woodrow Wilson, Warren Harding, Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Harry Truman, Dwight D. Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden.
1: Damn. Wow! Oh. <laughs> Mic drop! Wow. Pod's done. Pod's done.
2: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. That's a, that's a Michigan education right there. Wow! The, the, the average that's... Michigan state grad couldn't tell you who the current president is. <laughs>
1: Or the uh, non-Clemson oh grad God. over here could tell you about you know seven wow. of them. Wow, that is wow. incredible. I mean, listen, each and every show I
0: come on and I call you a savant, and this <laughs> That's is impressive. this is just incredible. Mosse. He
1: found a uh, he found a flow in the middle there wow. where he was just like rapping right. them right. out, he Right, he sped right? up there, and then it'd be Johnson, dun, 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 <laughs> Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama. Oh my God, nice I love work, you, man! Uh, nice work. All right, we
0: all love David Mossy for so many different things, uh, including. It's what a shame
1: you can't just... put that on your reel because you got wow. the sty, but.
0: Wow. Yeah. Filter, buddy. We'll filter it out. It's gonna be. It's gonna be fine. All right. Listen. Thank you to Stu Holden. Uh, thank you to everybody out there for reviewing and downloading and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do. I know we went a little bit long today, but I think it was worth it. There was a lot to cover out there. If you made it all the way to the end and to Mossy's Easter egg, congratulations and thank you for uh, for doing that. Whether you did or didn't, thank you for uh, for listening and uh, continue to do uh, all those different things. With you. Podcast. We'll be back again later on this week because there's still going to be soccer. We'll do a little sh- a shorter show later on this week. But we will be back later on this week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.